go. Jonah, if you haven't got it, uh, if you could turn to Jonah. Unfortunately, it's one of those books that just is terribly hard to find. Um, no matter how you find, sometimes you're convinced that it's been taken out of your Bible. It's just two pages in our Bible. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you're struggling, just ask someone next to you. Um, they'll, they'll help you out. Each week, you're going to find it difficult to find. It doesn't get any easier. If you need to use the contents page at the start of your Bible, that's fine as well. But we are uh, started uh, a new series. And let me just, as we start, put, put my cards on the table and just give you a bit of insight as to why we're studying uh, Jonah. As we, we start the year, usually Ryan and I will sit down and we'll work out where we feel the Lord is leading us as a church this year or the things that that we fear the Lord is really drawing us to step into we don't just um, pick up a book and think oh that's an interesting book we'll we'll jump into that there's some interesting things there we study and we pray and we talk and and we really want to follow the Lord's leading for us as a church and this year as we prayed before the the year we had a really strong sense that the Lord was calling us as a church to grow in our knowledge and to grow in our love of Christ, of the Son of God, to understand who he is more, to understand some more of his works, to understand some more of of what he's done for us and then what it looks like for us as his people to live in light of what he's done. And we've seen that through Colossians. We've understood a little bit more of who Jesus is. We got to see it physically, dramatically on Easter Sunday as we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promised resurrection for all of his people. We heard about it last week. I wasn't with you, but I've listened back and you had a great time listening to what the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ means for us today. Jesus hasn't just gone and that's it. He has left us a wonderful, a beautiful, a glorious deposit. He has left us the Holy Spirit who abides in us, who is the power for the church today. And as we come to Jonah, we might be thinking, okay, we're having a bit of a breather from Jesus because we're in the Old Testament and And maybe there's not much about Jesus in here. Well, there is tons about Jesus in here. Each week, we're spending five weeks going through Jonah. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus is all over this book. Okay, it was written 600 years before Christ was born. But maybe more more than any of the other minor prophets here in the Old Testament as well, maybe more than any of them, we see types and shadows and pictures and allusions towards Jesus and his ministry. We're going to see all these things pop out to us. And for, for God's people in Jonah's day, those things were, were hints and, and uh, allusions towards the promised Messiah. So he hadn't been born yet, but they knew that there was one who was coming, one promise from God, who was going to liberate his people from their slavery spiritually and physical slavery to come they knew that there was one who was going to come who was going to bring salvation to the nations the one who was promised all the way back in genesis 3 who was going to liberate and free his people they knew that he was coming and all over jonah we see what he will look like or sometimes what he won't look like we're going to see jesus is all over this book and particularly this side of the ascension more than the Folks who are in Jonah's day, we get to see how Christ is at work in this book. And specifically, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the heart of Christ. That's what we're going to see in this little book, four chapters, two pages. We're going to see the heart of Christ exposed for us to see, revealed for us to see. I was out running this week 
uh, with a friend of mine, a pastor friend, and we went running four or five times, and something fascinating happened. I don't know, Ella can maybe give us a bit of an insight to this later. But I was wearing a heart rate strap, looked a little bit like a, a bra, the guys were telling me. It wasn't a bra, it was a heart rate strap on here, which tells me, it gives me a live feed of what my heart rate is in the moment. And my brother, he's wearing a, a watch, which tells him the live feed of his heart rate. Now, we're, we're different builds. He's a little bit older than me, probably a little bit fitter than me, to be fair. It was a hot day and we adjusted the climate differently. He was a white man, I'm a little bit less white. So we, you know, our hearts should be functioning a little bit differently. But what was really interesting, no matter what pace we were going, and you know, he was into the sprints, I was more into the slower runs. Every time we checked our watch to the beat, we had the same heartbeat. Ellie, you can explain later. I had no idea what was going on, honestly. Like four or five times in the run, we check it and it just became a bit of a joke eventually. We check it and it was the same, 160, he's 160. 150, he's 150. And it was uncanny, we had the same heartbeat all the way through. And I don't know about you this afternoon, I don't know where you are with your walk with Jesus. I don't know if you have faith in Jesus. If you do have faith in the Lord Jesus, my hope is that you would want to share in the heartbeat of Christ. You would want to... You would want to take joy in the things that he takes joy. You would want to love the things that he loves. You would want to hate the things that he hates. You would want to grieve over the things that he grieves. You would want to have your heart broken over the things that breaks his heart. You would want to share in the heart of Christ. We sung it before that you would want to have eyes to see like, like, like he sees that you would You would want to look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and see them how he sees them and look at the lost like he sees them. As embodied souls who have an eternal destiny. I long to have more than that. More of that. I long to have more of the heart of Christ in my life. My prayer for us as we work through this book is that we as a church too would share it. That more and more we would counter our joy to partner with Christ, to share his heart in whatever he calls us to do and no matter where he calls us to go. So here's where we're going to go this afternoon. I'm going to read the whole book. We don't often get to do this because books are often longer, but this is only four chapters. Don't get freaked out. I've timed it. Six and a half minutes. That's how long it's going to take. Now we sit and we watch things on the telly for longer, longer than six and a half minutes, all right? Now, it might not be what you might see on Netflix, but this is going to be good. It's the word of God. I'm going to read it all for us. And the reason I want to read it all is week by week, I want us to be really familiar with the narrative. Okay, this is a story. It's true. This really happened. There's going to be some interesting things that happen here, but, but it really happened. But I want us to be familiar with the flow of the story. And each week, over the next five weeks, we're going we're gonna to just stop and pause and just see what it looks like for us to share in Christ's heart. And we're going to start this week with seeing, seeing Christ's heart to see sinners saved. Okay, here we go. Jonah chapter one. And listen, you might just want to listen. That's all right as well. If you just want to put your Bible down. If you tune out, maybe just put your Bible down and listen. That's okay. No one's going to judge. In fact, it's good to listen. And not read. Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hailed a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hailed the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hail me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and let not, us, not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and held him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. For I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. 
And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he praised the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this, is this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Here's how we might summarize Jonah. Be up on the screen. God desires to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. <laughs> Try and say that with a sweetie in your mouth. God desires to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. Every one of us, folks, who steps into this world comes into it with a nature of sin that has us rebel against God. We can't help it, it's who we are. And outside of an intervention from God, that is who we are, a rebellious people, a sinful people, guilty sinners who are destined for eternal judgment from God for our offences. That is the inheritance that is given to us by our first father, Adam. An eternity sitting under the judgment of God rightly for our offences. But God desires to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. Straight after that judgment that is laid on humanity in Genesis chapter 3, we see God's heart is exposed. We see the mercy that he gives. Right, right in that moment in Genesis 3, he gives the curse, but he gives the promise of a saviour who is going to come. And as we go on in the chapters that follow in Genesis chapter 3, we see sin keeps increasing. Humanity don't get better. As humanity multiplies, sin multiplies. 
And rightly, God pronounces judgment on sin. If you know the story in Genesis 6, he says, I'm going to flood the whole earth. But God desires to save sinners. And so he tells Noah, you might know the story, to build an ark. And the ark is a means of salvation. And Noah goes out and he preaches. He preaches repentance to the people around him. Like we assume that he is preaching a message to, to beckon them to come into this, this place of salvation. But they resist God. And so God pours out his judgment and covers the earth with the flood. And Noah and his family are saved by the ark. And as they're out on the ark, after 40 days, they look out and there's just water everywhere. And so they send out birds, at first a raven, and then they send out a dove to see if there's any dry land. And the dove comes back to Noah with an olive branch in its mouth. It was a sign that the waters were subsiding and that there is dry land out there. There is a place of safety for Noah. Now I'm going somewhere with this thinking, why is he back in Genesis? The dove is an important theme that pops up all the way through Scripture. And whenever we see the dove appear, it is highlighting us God's desire to save sinners and to send sinners to save more sinners. That's the picture that the dove is given. And, you know, in Scripture, there's like different motifs, different pictures, different symbols that pop up all the way through, like through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, the dove is one of those pictures. Each time we see it, it's a message of salvation for a world that is covered in judgment. And folks, we need a bit of a dove moment today because that is the reality of our world. There is a world covered in judgment that needs, needs God's desire to be fulfilled. It needs salvation. It needs God's people to be sent out to take a message of salvation. And so we see the dove come with this, with this picture of salvation. And it isn't just a sign for Noah. It is a sign for all who've come after Noah who put their faith in him. And that picture continues in Genesis 15. God makes a promise with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, through you, I'm going to save a nation to myself. I'm going to gather a people to myself from the nations through you. And part of the, the moment of sealing that covenant is Abraham is told to sacrifice some animals. And one of the animals that he's told to cut in half is a dove. It's a picture of salvation that is coming for the nations. In the book of Leviticus, doves are used as part of the offering, the sacrificial system. Sacrifices that are intended to, to allow God's people to come into his presence. They're a, a picture of salvation, a means of salvation for sinners, albeit temporary. In the Psalms and the prophets, the dove is used as a symbol of salvation for sinners. You fast forward to the New Testament, at Jesus' baptism. He comes out of the water and what do we see? The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And Jesus' baptism is the mark of the, the start of a new covenant. Entrance for guilty sinners coming into the presence of God, into the family of God. The dove descends on Jesus and it is a moment, a declaration that God is going to do what he has promised to do. He's going to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. And then we saw last week, in Acts chapter 2, what happens at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on God's people in the same way. It's the same picture as Jesus' baptism. 
We don't see the word dove, but it's the same illustration that is given. The same moment is given as salvation is inaugurated through Jesus' baptism. So in the day of Pentecost, salvation, much more than just the Jews, for the whole world, for Gentiles as well, is inaugurated. Not just through one person, but we heard last week, through the whole church as the Holy Spirit embodies us. And we read on in Acts chapter 2, as this dove-like Holy Spirit falls on the church, the apostles go on to make it really clear where it is that this salvation comes from. It doesn't come through work. It doesn't come through ethnicity. It doesn't come from you belonging to a special type of race. Peter goes on and preaches just a stellar of a sermon. And he says, the salvation which you need, the salvation which you desire, it comes through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the life that you so desire comes through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death for your death. His life for your life. The apostles declare that there is hope for the most guilty, the most vile, the most helpless of sinners who put their faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you need to hear just that this this afternoon. You need to hear that there's hope for you. Found in the finished work of Jesus' death and his resurrection, salvation in God is offered to you freely. And when you receive it, God empowers you with his Holy Spirit to share it with others. See, this dove all the way through scripture It is God's sign of his desire to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. Eventually, that won't be funny. We'll be like, that, that makes sense. The dove is a picture of that. And when we get to Jonah, have a guess what Jonah's name means. Dove. Jonah is intended to reveal to us God's heart to save guilty sinners. And that is amplified, actually, when you see how the story of Jonah, this dove, Jonah in Hebrew, whenever you see dove in the Old Testament, it's Jonah. Amplify when you see how the story of Jonah is placed within Scripture. See, when we pick up our Bibles, it's 66 books, right? All brought together, and we know there is one coherent theme, a thread through the Word of God. And quite often when we come to the Bible, we'll just read a verse or we'll read a chapter or we might sit down and read a book. And that's, that's great. Like, it's a good way to approach the Bible. Like, every time we come to the Bible, we don't need to read the whole thing in one sitting. It's fine to come and approach it and just take bits as we go. But there are some parts of the Bible, some books in the Bible that are meant to come together, that actually make more sense when they are read together in in one sitting or or at least with an understanding of how they fit together and Jonah is one of those books Jonah fits into what we call the book of the 12 the 12 minor prophets now Elizabeth was singing it before all the uh, she did the whole old testament book of the bible should we do it can I put you on the spot see if you can do it starting with Hosea the 12 minor prophets we could sing it together if you want this could be a beautiful moment Hosea Joel, Amos, Amos Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Malachi. That is the Old Testament. That was really cruel. I'm going to get told off that later, aren't I? The Book of the Twelve, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. These twelve minor prophets, and you can read them separately and get a lot out of them. But they actually come as one book. 
the book of the 12. And it's a little bit like a train with 12 carriages, right? They're all connected together and one leads to another. Now, this book of the 12, it was written over about 150 years. And if you read it, each one starts where the other one finishes, okay? And it's a plot that grows through the book. And the plot line that is growing through these 12 books is this, judgment, death, and salvation. That's the, the story that is building through these 12 books that make up the book of the 12, judgment, death, and salvation. God is gonna judge sin and the only right judgment for sin is death. But for those who put their faith in the promised Messiah, there will be salvation. That's the plot of the 12. And Jonah sits right in the middle right in the middle of the book of the 12. And it's almost like, like it's a step away to give us a mini picture of the big picture that is getting built. Because we see that whole theme coming through in the book of Jonah, judgment, death, and salvation. We actually see it twice. We see it in chapter one and two, judgment, death, salvation. We see it in chapter three and fourth, judgment, death, salvation. This, this recurring theme that is coming through. A message of salvation that is given to God's people. And it is a message that we are to receive and it's a message that we are to share. See, that dove-like moment that Noah had and Abraham had and Jesus had and the apostles had, God has always had that dove-like moment call on his people all the way from Genesis chapter 12. God has always intended to show his glory to his people, to save his people, And then to show his glory through his people. To use his people to bring about their salvation. Folks, I want us to see, and I really want us to just to feel the weight this afternoon. And as we're working through this book over the next four or five weeks. It's not enough just to be saved. That sounds blasphemous. That sounds heretical. But I mean it. We have not, the reason we are breathing today, if you are a brother and sister in Christ, is because there is work to be done. In Matthew's gospel, and Jesus is, as he did, he was taking some heat from the religious leaders. And they're criticizing him and they're, um, they're pointing the finger at him and they're demanding a sign from him. Jesus is has made allusions that he is the promised Messiah. And they want him to prove it. Okay, if you are who you say you are, prove it. Show us a sign. And this is so stupid because it comes after he's, he's, he's done impossible miracles. But they're still not satisfied to like, show us a sign. And this is what we read in Matthew 12, 39. Jesus answers them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, not a whale, so the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah's story, like we've just read it, and we're going to get familiar with it over the next few weeks. Jonah's story, the story of 
the Ninevites and how, like, when we learn what type of nation they were, you will see how spectacular God's mercy was to them. You will see how powerful his love was towards the Ninevites and to Jonah. Like, I don't have to work hard to show how much of a waster he was. And you see God's mercy towards him. The story of Jonah and the story of the Ninevites is a spectacular story of God's patience, his mercy, his love, and his grace towards unworthy sinners. But Jesus says something even greater than that story is here. Now, I've never read it like this before, but I, I want us just to hear what he said. Something greater than Jonah is here. He didn't say someone greater than Jonah is here. That's where my mind's always gone. Jesus is kind of, you know, he's, he's going at it with the, with the religious leaders. And, and I've always thought, in this moment, he's telling them, no, I am here. The greater Jonah is here. That isn't what he says. He doesn't say someone greater than Jonah is here. Like, he knows, they know that, that Jesus is the greater Jonah. They know he's better than Jonah. He says something greater than Jonah is here. Well, what is the something? Well, in the chapters that follow Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus' death on the cross. We see his resurrection from the grave. But the climax of Matthew's gospel, Mark took us there last week, is that the church is commissioned to take the good news of life in Christ to the nations. So here's what I think the greatest something is that Jesus is talking about. I think it is the spirit-empowered body of Christ that is taking his gospel of salvation to the nations. I think that's what the greatest something is. I think that's the, the, the story of Jonah is spectacular and it is wonderful and it is such a powerful picture of the mercy of God and his salvation. But I think Jesus is saying, no, 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 that is just the tip of the iceberg. When my spirit-empowered church comes on the scene, wow, that's going to be something great. And it's here. Friends, God's glorious purpose for your life is to save you and it's to send you. Filled with his spirit to share his message of salvation with other sinners. And that is a joyful commission. Everything that the Lord calls us into, every step of obedience that we take is a joyful step. But it's also an urgent commission. Three o'clock this afternoon, all our phones went wild, didn't they? We had a bit of a moment in here. We were looking around, thinking about it, even though Tony warned us beforehand. It was the warning system, right? The government have established this new system that if we're in trouble, if there's a flood, if there's a, well, who knows what it could be. Better thing. The phones are going to buzz and there we go, there's the warning. There's something much more deadly out there than a flood or an army invading or a pandemic or a nuclear bomb, I don't know. Every day that we live here, folks, it becomes clearer and clearer that what the world needs more than now is Jesus. 
spiritual darkness, if we didn't know it was out there already, is becoming clearer and clearer by the day. As we see institutional breakdown, as we see sexual confusion, as we see just a a flatness in personal and corporate morality. This world needs Jesus and in his kindness, he has brought himself to the world through us. There are three million image bearers in this world who have yet to hear the gospel. 7,000 people groups, 7,000 ethnicities who have yet to hear the gospel. There are nearly 1.3 million people in our region who, as it stands, are walking into an eternal judgment. Just in our streets here, nearly 10,000 people who are rejecting Jesus and walking into eternal judgment. We started this year, remember our fives? Praying for the fives? We started this year coming and crying out to the Lord. He would save five people. would save five people (laughs) I'm not saying that's a bad thing that's right let's keep praying let's keep pleading but Lord do more than that please Mm -hmm. and let me say this we need to pray and we need to lean back on our doctrine which which says as Jonah says in chapter 2 verse 9 salvation belongs to the Lord and we need to be convinced that Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power for salvation. We need to lean back on those doctrines. We need to pray and plead. But folks, we need to go. If you're anything like me, maybe you've grown cold to that. And so as we start off this book... Or encourage us. Maybe this is a moment. Um, maybe a moment of recalibration. We used to have a guy who would come into our office when I was a project manager, and I'd run projects that had a really clear, defined mission. You're going to build this thing for this community. You're going to protect this this kind of area and these amounts of properties. And what would invariably happen with every project is we'd get sidetracked. And we'd say, oh, let's do this while we're here. And let's, let's build a wall a little bit bigger. And let's, let's do this bit of environmental work here. And this guy's job, his, his pure purpose was to come in to the office and sit in front of us and say, okay, tell me, tell me what, what the plan was. And we'd say, oh, it was this, this, and this. And he'd say, okay, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. That's not what you're asked to do. You know, as I was preparing and reading through Jonah, I felt like the Lord was doing that to me. I wonder whether he might be doing it to some of us. The task that he was employed to do was to stop us from engaging in mission drift. The reason that we are here is clear, folks. God desires to save sinners... And to send saved sinners to save more sinners. And so I want to pray for us. You guys are going to come up and, and lead us as we sing. And I want to pray for us that we would share in God's heart. That we would see the lost around us. And that we would go and share the good news of salvation which we have received. 
And I want to encourage us, I want to liberate us, I want us to feel the weight of this and think, oh, where do I even start? If you were here last week, then remember, remember what you heard. If you weren't here last week, can I encourage you to listen back to what we heard about why the ascension is so important for us. Like we need the Holy Spirit. He is with us now. He is dwelling in us. And it is the Spirit of God in us that is the hope of God's glory in the nations. Okay, and we don't need to feel like we need to, we need to kind of crank the Holy Spirit handle to get him to work and to get him to show up. That isn't how he functions. The same Spirit that is here as we gather is going to be there when we scatter tomorrow. He's going to be there in our workplaces. He's going to be there as we, as we engage with our young ones, our kids. He's going to be there as we drink coffee on the lane. He's going to be there as we, as we commute to work. He's going to be there in our homes. It's the same Spirit. We just need to ask him, use me. Open my eyes, remind me of why I'm here, and use me. God desires to save sinners and send saved sinners to save more sinners. Can you stand, guys? I'm going to pray for us. You guys are going to Lead us in song and then we're going to share this meal together. Let's just bow our heads. Some of us might need to take a moment as we pray and as we prepare to take this meal. We might need to take a moment to repent. To repent of our hard-heartedness to repent for mission drift, to repent of choosing comfort over Christ and the calling that he has given us. Some of us need to, as we pray and as we take this meal, as we sing, maybe some of us need to ask, ask for faith. Faith for the first time, maybe faith for salvation. Maybe some of us need to pray that God would just strengthen our faith where we are lacking belief where we are lacking confidence and boldness that the Holy Spirit is in us and desires to use us we need to ask that God would strengthen our faith that he would and he will so let me pray Father thank you for your goodness to us we started our time together being reminded of your enduring steadfast love towards us we thank you that as we contemplate and as we pray and as we confess and as we repent, that we have no fear. There is no judgment. Thank you that you, you don't desire for us to be covered in our guilt, but, but you want us to know your love, to be filled with it. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters now. I pray that they would know their sonship, that they would know their daughtership, that they would be convinced of your love towards them in this moment. But Father, where your spirit needs to do a work in our heart, where we have drifted from the holy purpose and calling that you've given us, help us to come rightly and confess and repent to turn around, to stop pursuing whatever it is that we're pursuing, that is, is causing us to be distracted and, and help, us to, help us to walk in faithfulness, help us to walk in obedience to the calling that you've given us. Thank you that you choose to use us. 
What a busted up, broken people, but you choose to use us. That's a miracle, Father, and we thank you for that. So as we worship now, help us to come to you in spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do a work. Glorify the Son. This isn't about us. This is all about the glory of God. We, we long for, we, we dream, and we, we want to pursue a life that, that works towards seeing his glory cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. That's what we want. So Jesus, we love you. Thank you that we get to call you our saviour. Help us now as we worship, we pray. And we ask in your name. Amen.